coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. And guys, it's game week, baby. And to kick off the first week of the SEC season, we got a special show for you guys here today on the Glory UGA podcast. This is our annual preseason picks episode where we will go through the entire conference, the SEC East and the SEC West, and make our picks for each and every team. Charlie, myself, Curtis, all three of us, we printed out a SEC helmet schedule, and we picked every single game on the schedule. And so when we give you the records for each team, these are, we'll find out how accurate or not accurate they end up being, but we, these are not just like random, oh yeah, we think they're going to go six and four. No, we picked every single game on the schedule so it would align with the records that we put out there. So we've been working on this for a week and a half or so now. We really wanted, we tried very hard to get all of our schedules aligned so that we could all three be on the same episode together here. We thought it would be a great way to kick off the, uh, the start of the SEC season. We've had a lot of requests from different listeners out there asking to have all three of us on the same show at the same time. And I know on the service that probably seems like, hey, that should be an easy, easy thing to do. But when you've got Curtis in law school, Charlie and I with jobs, and our, our schedule is kind of just all over the place. We all have different responsibilities and different things going on. It's just really hard to get our schedules aligned, all three of ours, at the exact same time. I know that seems kind of weird, but it's, it's hard. It's harder than, than you would think, trust me. So unfortunately, we couldn't get Curtis on the show today. We thought... We might be able to make it work out, but he had some stuff come up at the last second with law school that obviously has got to take precedence for him right now. But he is here in spirit with us today. He has sent in his pick, so Charlie will be reading those off when she's going through each and every team and she gives gives her pick, and then I'll go through mine as well. So he'll at least be here with us in, in some way, shape, or form. And we will get to all of our preseason picks here in just a minute. We've got an in-depth show for you guys today, which is, you guys know, if you listen to the show, that's what we try to do each and every time we produce anything. But we've got an extra special in-depth show for you today, picking each and every team, their final record in the SEC. But first, got to talk about some uniforms real quickly here. And I know this is not typically the kind of topic that we would discuss on this podcast, but man, I don't know about you guys, but I think, I'm, I'm going to say it, my life was forever changed on Thursday. Like, I feel like my life in some ways is, I don't want to say complete, because maybe we need a national title before I can say my life is complete. But when the football program released the first, we'll get two new uniforms. You guys have seen it all by now. We've got an updated black jersey complete with spikes on the collar and a truly glorious, dare I say, even all-inspiring throwback look complete with red pants honoring the 1980 national champions. And Charlie, look, I know... This isn't your thing. You usually give me a really hard time because I get like borderline obsessed and just fascinated by uniforms. And you're kind of just like, wow, I just wish everyone would wear all white every game. But what did you make? Even someone who doesn't care about that kind of thing, what did you make of the new uniforms? Um, I like the red ones. I don't understand why we would only wear them for away games. I think that it would be better to wear those at a home game, personally. The white tops and red bottoms, not red and red. Right. Okay, okay. What they showed in the okay. picture. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, okay. I think that that would be more exciting as a home game than an away game, but I don't get to make those decisions. That I never thought about that. That's a really good point. I don't think I've ever heard anyone mention that because, yeah, like traditionally we wear white on the road, as do most teams if you're not LSU, but when you have a, a 
a uniform like that, which I think is just overwhelmingly positively received by the fan base and players and recruits, I think it actually makes sense. Because you're right, this is all about getting players fired. I imagine, like, if we, I know we were technically the story is we were supposed to unveil those, surprise everybody in Mercedes Benz Stadium when uh, we came out to play Virginia in week one. Obviously, COVID did not allow that to be possible. But think about how cool it would be to have the recruits there in the West End zone. We come out, those uniforms, everybody's going crazy. That'd be awesome. That's a great point. I like that. But yeah, the red, the red pants, but the red britches, man, they are fantastic. I've been all over this. We've gotten questions in the past on mailbag episodes about, hey, if there's one thing you could change about the, the uniforms, what would it be? And my answer is always, yeah, I love the black jerseys, but give me red pants on the road with the white tops. That is an incredible look. I think I read somewhere we've only done that 15 times in our history. I think it was between like 1978, 1988. We wore them 15 times. I think we lost a game in 1988 and Dooley just kind of threw them in the vault from there. And we haven't worn them since. But I think this is a great way to honor the 1980 team. And it's just, like, honestly, I... I, I don't think this is hyperbolic. I actually mean this, guys. I think it's the best-looking uniform I've ever seen in my life. Not just Georgia uniforms. Like, I think it's the best-looking uniform combination I have ever seen. I love the jersey. I, I love the pants. It, it just It's so sharp. It looks so good. Now, the black jerseys, I am not maybe quite as high, Charlie. My thing with the black jerseys was the spikes on the collar. Like, What do you make of that? They're growing on me. I think up close, it looks cartoonish. That's the word I would use, yeah. From far away, I think that they'll probably look better. Yeah, I think like my, my initial thought was, yeah, there's it's something like, I don't know, cheap and cartoonish. It just made the jersey look a little cheaper. I, I don't know that that makes sense to anybody. But you're right. I think it's kind of growing on me. My initial take was like, I don't know, man. Like Honestly, I'm not sure I felt like the black jerseys needed an up, like, really an upgrade. I, I like what they were already. I like the numbers. I like the, the way we've got the numbers set up on the black jerseys. I think it was really sharp. It's almost like an off-white color. It looks really good. The stitching looks awesome. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the, of the... I wasn't a huge fan initially of, of the spikes, but it's growing on me. This is about recruiting more than anything. And if the players love it, the recruits love it, which they seem to love, then I guess I'm all for it. I, I really do like the original black jerseys, but I, I can be down with these as well. I'm not a huge fan of the, uh, the new... Bulldog logo. I guess it's not new anymore. I think it was 2012 when it was first introduced. It's been around for going on a decade or so now. It's not my favorite version of our logo, but it's fine. I just don't like it that it's primarily placed on both sleeves on the black on the new black uniforms or the black jerseys. But it's fine. It's fine. So I, I like them. They're fine. No issue with them whatsoever. I'm just glad we're gonna be wearing black jerseys at least once a year. It seems like hopefully moving forward. But man. Those red britches, dude. Oh my God. Life changing. Not even kidding. Life changing for me. But all right, enough uniform talk. Had to throw that out there. Could not let that pass. But we've got some picks to make. So let's get to it. Charlie's going to drive the ship as the host the rest of the way today. And I'm going to do my best to give you guys an in-depth preview of each team. A a brief but still in-depth preview for each team as we go through each and every team's schedule and their record. So Charlie... It's all yours. Take it away. All right. So we're going to start in the SEC East, and I kind of mixed up the order based on interest level. So we're going to start with Tennessee. I have Pruitt's team continuing to improve this year, but because they have to play Bama as their regular West rival, and they also got a tough draw with A&M and Auburn, um, I have them going four and six. So I don't think they'll be going bowling this year if we actually get that far. And Curtis has Tennessee going 5-5. Five and five. Tyler, what's your take? All right, well, first off, let me say this. I hate to agree with you right out right out of the gate here because I know everybody likes a little disagreement. 
But I'm, I have the exact same record for Tennessee as you do, Charlie. And I do not think the Vol fans are going to be happy after an offseason of hype. It's not Florida-level hype. But there's still been a lot of hype for Tennessee coming off. I think they won their last six games of the year last year. Uh, pulled out a, a, a win late in that game in the Gator Bowl against Indiana. But I, I have them going 4-6. and six, And I obviously know this is not going to be what Tennessee fans want to hear. And I could be wrong. But if you look at this schedule, again, guys, we went back and we picked every single game on the SEC schedule this year with the helmet schedules, and I came out with Tennessee going four and six. I, I can see five and five, and that's where Curtis had them. I can see that I do have them losing week one at South Carolina. I, that's certainly a toss-up game. I think Gamecocks, I'm a little bit higher on the Gamecocks than other people are this going into this season. I wish I had a chance to do the, the scouting enemy for South Carolina this year. We just ran out of time. But I don't think South Carolina is going to be a great team, but I, I think I'm a little higher on them. I think most people are coming into this season. That game in Columbia, in Williams-Brice, I know it's not going to be a packed house, obviously, with, with the coronavirus restrictions, but I think South Carolina is good enough with Mike Bobo coming over as offense coordinator to get that win against Tennessee at home. But then I got Tennessee losing at Georgia. I got them losing to Kentucky at home, losing to Bama and A&M at home, and also losing at Auburn. Now, there's a couple games I think could be tossed. I think they could beat South Carolina. They could, they could beat Kentucky. and they, they could potentially get that game at Auburn. But I, right now, if I'm looking at the schedule, having to, have to, having to pick each of those games, I got Tennessee going four and six. And I know a lot of people are expecting big improvements from Tennessee after an eight and four season where they really ended on a strong note. And they do have some really good players and spots. You guys, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I did the Tennessee version of our Scout and the Enemy series. And I think they have some really elite players in spots. I just don't think they have enough of them. I think Henry Toto is an elite inside linebacker. I think we all know how good Trey Smith is on the interior of that offensive line. But here's the thing with Tennessee. I still don't think they are good enough where you have to be good enough to consistently compete with the big boys. And to me, that's on both lines of scrimmage and at the quarterback position. Sure, they have enough talent to beat the Missouris and the Vandys and who knows, maybe even the South Carolinas of the world without being elite on the line of scrimmage and at quarterback, but you're just not going to consistently compete against and even beat the Georgias, the Alabamas, the Floridas of the world unless you are elite at those spots. I mean, last year, guys, I used this stat in the, in the Tennessee Sky on the Enemy episode. They beat Kentucky and Missouri by a combined score of 41 to 33. Kentucky was pretty good. Missouri was, eh, they were okay. But Tennessee skated by both of those teams by a combined score of 41 to 33. Then on the flip side, the three, I would say the three best teams they played last year, Georgia, Florida, and Alabama, they lost them by a combined score of 112 to 30. They lost by an average of four touchdowns a game to the three best teams on their schedule. And I just don't see why people think that they're just going to flip the script that much in one year. Do I think they will be improved this year? I think their play on the field could be improved, but not enough to start beating the Georges, the Florida. I mean, and maybe they, they luck with meet Florida at the end of the year. In fact, that might be giving some away. Maybe I think they actually upset Florida late in the year. But I, I, they're going to beat Georgia. They're going to be Alabama. They're going to be Texas A&M this year. Like, I just, they're going to be, they're going to win at Auburn. I, I just don't see it. I don't see them flipping the script that much in year one, despite the fact that they might be improved at spots this year. I think that like for them to be better than I, I think five and five, honestly, for me might be the, that might be the ceiling for Tennessee this year. I mean, six and four, I think that's the absolute limit to their ceiling. I got them going four and six. And, and the reason I got them going four and six is that I just don't buy the rationale that a lot of people are using to support the notion that Tennessee is going to be a lot better this year. And, and a big part of that rationale is that, oh yeah, well, their offensive line is going to be so much better this year. They got five stars all over the place. We got Cade Mays coming over. And Cade Mays did get his, his appeal approved, but now it's still pinning the SEC approval. And we don't know if that's going to happen. We'll see how that goes down. 
I think that would be borderline unprecedented for the SEC right now to approve that immediate in-conference transfer. So we'll see how that goes down. But you know, you got Darnell Wright, Wayne Morris, and Trey Smith as five-star guys on the offensive line. And yeah, Trey Smith is really good. But guys, as I said on the Scout the Enemy episode, Darnell Wright and Wayne Morris, I don't care if they had five stars next to their names coming out of high school. Those guys were garbage last year. They were flat out terrible. And just to give you some numbers, so here's what we did, guys. We actually invested in a subscription, a premier subscription to Pro Football Focus this season so that we can have access to all their stats. And I'm like a kid in a candy store right now looking at all these stats. I, I just I spent the last week or so just pouring over everything they had to offer. And I feel like I still haven't even scratched the surface of what Pro Football Focus' site offers. And they've really upped their game. And uh, I, I'm really excited to be able to bring that to you guys this year. So we're going to be throwing out a lot of, of grades to you, a lot of numbers to you guys, advanced stats from, from Pro Football Focus. And, and here's just a little bit of what they had to offer. So Darnell Wright, Wayne Morris, two five-star offensive tackles coming out of high school last year, or two years ago, I guess now. They're, they're rising sophomores. Everybody's all on them thinking about Tennessee's offensive line is going to make this huge jump. going to be so good this year. Guys, Darnell Wright, according to Pro Football Focus last year, graded out on the season with a 39. 39 out of a possible 100 points. But don't worry, Wayne Morris is a little bit better. He graded out with a 39.2. All right, and to give you a frame of reference, yeah, I know they were true freshmen. They're probably not going to be great. They're true freshmen, right? Well, Andrew Thomas, as a, as a true freshman back in 2017, graded out at the end of the season with a 68.4 starting that year as a true freshman. He almost doubled up what Wright and Morris did last year. Those guys were garbage last year. Will it be better this year? Probably, but when you're coming from a 39, better could be a 50 in year two. And we think that's going to be the offensive line that's going to pave the way for a big breakthrough year for Jeremy Pruitt and, and the Tennessee Volunteers in year three. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. And Jared Guarantano, I've told you guys before, I think he's solid. He's a good player. They can win a lot of games with him, but he's the same quarterback he was last year. He's a guy that has some talent, but also makes some absolutely boneheaded, what are you possibly thinking decisions that gets you beat. He has a lot of Felipe Franks in him. And he's he's back this year. He's going to be their guy. I, I just don't see them making the, the jump with him at quarterback with the offensive line that I think is overvalued. I just don't see this year. So I got them going four and six. And uh, I, I actually feel pretty decent with that pick. I mean, maybe maybe Kurt's right, five and five, but I think four and six, five and five is about right for Tennessee. All right. Next up is Mizzou. And I know I had Mizzou going 11 and one last year, and I was so very wrong. But this it's okay, so was I. You had yes. what? You had them what? Eleven and one. Yeah, I had them ten and two. So we were both very wrong. Well, this year the Tigers will go three and seven with wins against Vandy, Arkansas, and Mississippi State. Curtis has the Tigers going two and eight. Tyler, what about you? All right, so you and I were both really high on them last year. We were both wrong. Hopefully, we'll both be right this year when we're both very much down on them this year. I got them going two and eight with their only wins coming uh, at home against Vanderbilt and Arkansas. Look, guys, I think Eli Drinkwitz, the new head coach, I think that's going to end up being a really good hire for them. I think he's going to be a really good coach. He's done a really good job as an offensive coordinator wherever he's been, really. Obviously, he was at NC State. That propelled him to the job as the head coach at Appalachian State, and then he parlayed that into the job at Missouri. So he's he's kind of been a rising star, and he rose faster than I thought he might rise. So I think he's the guy that's going to be really good for them. I think he's made of the right stuff. And I think it's it's just a matter of time before he gets them back on track. I think they're, they're on the right trajectory. But I don't think it translates immediately. There's just too many holes on this Missouri roster right now. But saying that, I, I do think they are good enough defensively to stay in a lot of games this year. And they might be a team that just jumps up and beats a team they shouldn't because I think their defense is that good. 
Pro Football Focus graded them out with the 11th defense last year. They ranked number 11 in Pro Football Focus's defensive grades overall last year. So borderline top 10. They have 64% of those starters returning, or that, or that production returning. So it shouldn't say just starters, but that production overall defensively is coming back. And they got, they have, an, I would say, a borderline elite player at each level of the defense. On the on the defensive front, they got Kobe Whiteside, who's not, who was not as good as Jordan Elliott was for them last year. Elliott was that dude up front, but Whiteside was really good as well on that interior of that defensive line. Great out with a 76.5 on Pro Football Focus last year. Nick Bolton, guys, I told you guys about him when, when we did the Missouri Scout in the Enemy episode. If you haven't heard his name, if you don't know about Nick Bolton, familiarize yourself. This dude is an elite inside linebacker. In fact, his 91.1 Pro Football Focus grade last year was the highest graded inside linebacker in the entire league. That guy is legit. He legitimately is, guys as good of an inside linebacker as there is in the SEC, and he doesn't get any talk, any conversation about him because he plays for Missouri, and they were they just haven't been very good lately. And then in the, in the second year, you got Tyree Gillespie at safety coming in with an overall grade of 80 last year. They've got a guy at each level of defense. Sure, there are some spots where they maybe aren't as talented defensively, but they've got enough pieces defensively, especially with the defensive coordinator coming back, Ryan Walters coming back, and there's some continuity there. I think the defense can keep them in a lot of games this year, but man, I'm not sure what they're going to do offensively. I actually like their running backs. I think Larry Roundtree and Tyler Beatty really complement each other really well, and they're really good running backs. Receiver was a major question from last year. That was a major issue, but they do have a transfer coming in from Virginia Tech, Damon Hazleton, who's got a thousand yard season under his belt at Virginia Tech. Two years ago was their leading receiver, so second leading receiver at Tech last year. He's coming in, but at quarterback, this is where. It kind of goes off the rails for me. It's probably going to be Sean Robinson. I know that Drinkwitz is playing at Coy right now. He doesn't want to give Alabama any edge. He doesn't want to tell them who the guy is going to be. He wants to make them prepare for a couple different guys and, and, and give them that kind of workload going into the, into the first week. I get that. But it's probably going to be Sean Robinson, who's a transfer from TCU, had to sit out last year. And he's got some talent. He's kind of a dual threat guy, but he made some really poor decisions. He was a poor decision maker at TCU, threw a lot of interceptions. And I, I just don't, I don't know if I trust this guy right now. We'll see in year one with Eli Drinkwitz. And, and Robinson's a guy that has some physical ability. I just I, don't, I haven't seen him put it all together. And we'll see. He set out last year, so maybe he matured a little bit. We'll see. But I think this is a transition year for the Tigers. I do think that South Carolina and Mississippi State are winnable games, but both those games are on the road. If they were at home, I might potentially give Missouri a split there and give them three and seven. But right now I'm going two and eight for the Tigers. All right. Next up, we've got Kentucky. Overall, I think they'll go six and four, and they will open the season with a win against Auburn. Um, so I think that will be an exciting start for Kentucky. But finishing six and four, Curtis has them going five and five overall. Did you really steal my thunder? That Why? was like Kentucky over Auburn in week one was my upset special of the week, and you already just stole it from me. Sorry. Wow. Cool. Maybe you could host your own show. <sighs> That's too much work. All right, but I'm with you. I'm with you. I got. I, I know people are like what Kentucky over Auburn. Yeah, guys, listen. I, I got Kentucky beating Auburn week one. We'll talk about Auburn in a little bit. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself right there. I'll explain that a little bit later on. But I got Kentucky over Auburn in week one. That was going to be my upset special. Charlie had to steal that from me, but she's on the right on the right page there. So look, I got them going seven and three overall. I got them losing to Georgia, losing at Alabama and at Florida. And I know you're probably sitting there saying, "What Kentucky?" But I, I've told you guys before during this offseason, I like this Kentucky team. I think they are extraordinarily well coached. 
They've certainly upgraded the talent there. Marshall Hoops has done a great job upgrading the talent. They're not one of the more talented teams in the league. We know that, but they're more talented than your typical Kentucky football team is. They've really upgraded the talent in that program. Again, great coaching. And I think they have some really good players in spots on this team. And look, Terry Wilson, obviously quarterback is a key position, obviously. It's the most important position. And Terry Wilson might not be a star quarterback, but I found this to be interesting too. I was just kind of playing around with some of the stuff in the, on the Pro Football Focus site. In 2018, Terry Wilson had almost an identical grade to Kyle Trask's 2019 season. In 2018, as, as the starter at Kentucky, Wilson graded out with a 66.1 grade. Last year, as a starter for pretty much the full year at Florida, Trask graded out with a 66.4 grade. And to me, it's just fascinating how different the general public perception is of both quarterbacks, despite the fact that their grades were almost identical in their last essential full season as starters. That's just very, very interesting to me. But anyway, I think Wilson's good enough for them to win a lot of games. And, and no, Kentucky does not have the overall talent level of Florida, but I think they arguably are better in key spots. Honestly, guys, I almost had Kentucky going 8-2. and two. To be flat out honest with you, I almost had them going 8-2 and two this year. And I know that's not realistic, maybe, for a lot of you out there. So I, I, I ultimately went with 7-3. and three. I really almost pulled the trigger having them beating Auburn on the road and Florida on the road. But ultimately, I sat back and I said, you know what? Are they really good enough to beat both Florida and Auburn on the road? And ultimately, I decided against that. I do think they match up with Florida really well in certain spots. If you look at the offensive line and defensive line, I, I, I think that those are advantages for Kentucky right now. I, I, I honestly think Kentucky legitimately could possibly have the best offensive line, not just in the league, but in the entire country this year. I think their defensive line has a, has a matchup advantage over Florida's offensive line with a guy like Quentin Bohan in the middle of that line. Florida's not going to be able to handle them. And I would say Mark Stoops over Todd Grant than any day of the week. So I went back and forth with that game with them in Florida. But ultimately, with Florida not having BAM on the schedule, Kentucky having to go to Tuscaloosa, that was a big factor in my decision to pick Florida over Kentucky. And also, the really deciding factor for me was the Bama body blow theory. And if you guys aren't familiar with the Bama body blow theory, it, it's essentially the idea that after you play Bama, you're just so beaten up that you really don't play well the next week. And if you play a decent team, you're going to lose that game. You have a really good chance of losing that game. And, and the way that the schedule sets up for Kentucky, it sucks for them. They play at Alabama and at Florida in back-to-back weeks. The SEC certainly did not do them any favors there. So by virtue of the fact that they had to play Bama, Florida doesn't, and they have to play in Gainesville, coming right off the game in Tuscaloosa. I'm going to give Florida the edge there and give the Gators that win, but I think Kentucky's going to give them a run for their money in that game. And honestly, it really, if it was not for that schedule setup, I would have picked Kentucky over Florida. Kentucky has really closed the gap on the Gators. They ended the streak in Gainesville in 2018. I think it was, what, 31 in a row that Florida had beaten them. They ended that streak in 2018. And last year in Lexington, they led the entire way before ultimately collapsing in the fourth quarter. I mean, they, they were up 21-10, guys, going into the fourth quarter in that game, and then got outscored 19 to nothing in the fourth quarter, just collapsed, ended up losing that game 29-21. But they are playing Florida really well. And I know what happened last year and the year before doesn't necessarily matter for this year, but if you look at the matchups, I like the matchups with Kentucky against Florida. I just don't like the spots. So I'm going to get Florida the edge there ever so slightly and I got the cats going seven and three next let's cover vandy i have vandy going one and nine only picking up a win versus Ole miss and i'm not even sure they're gonna do that but i don't want them to go over 10 uh curtis has vandy going over 10 though what about you oh and 10 god yeah man poor vandy Poor, poor Vandy. Yeah, I, I can't. I want to say I could give him a win somewhere, 
But I just don't see it. I got to be honest here. Pick, again, we picked every single game on the schedule, and I came out with an 0-10 record for the Vanderbilt Commodores. I just don't see it, guys. I mean, last year they were 1-7 with Keyshawn Vaughn, Kalaji Lipscomb, and Jared Pinkney on offense. They won one league game. They somehow lucked up and beat Missouri at home. I actually watched that game. I don't know how I forced myself to sit there and watch it. I know we were playing Missouri in a couple weeks, and I was trying to prepare for that game. But my God, Vanderbilt is terrible. And they were 129th offensively last year in pro football focus is great. It's 126 defensively. And they have something called a Ken Seals as their starting quarterback this year, a redshirt freshman. We'll see. Maybe he ends up being great. I just don't know, man. It's it's quite fitting that the biggest baby seal of the entire conference has a guy named Ken Seals as their starting quarterback. So God bless him. I got Vandy going 0-10. I'm with you, Charlie. And Charlie, before we move on, I do want to make sure to tell everyone about our good friends at MyBookie. Football season's back, guys. It's been back for a couple weeks now. We've got Power 5 football in full swing with the SEC season almost back, less than a week away. So now is the time, guys. Put all your football knowledge to the test. If you listen to this show, you, you know you're a football. So go make some money with it. Use it right now. Go to my bookie because not only is college football season back, not only is the NFL season back, but winning season has returned at my bookie, which means doubling your first deposit. It means watching live sports and betting live. College football is back, NFL's back, the Falcons keep blowing games. I mean, God bless the Falcons. But hey, winning a little money each week helps ease the pain if you're one of those Falcons fans out there. But get in on the action. Use promo code OVERTIME and double your first deposit. And if you are a brand new player, you can get up to $1,000 in free play. Bet with the best at MyBookie for your chance to win cold hard cash this football season. Again, use promo code OVERTIME and double your first deposit. Your winning season begins today only at MyBookie. And guys, it's still technically September, so we've still got the overtime promotion going on for all of our listeners. We're giving away $500 cash to one lucky person who all you got to do, guys, is take advantage of this MyBookie offer. Just go to MyBookie, create an account, throw some money in there, start winning some cash, and when you make your first deposit, take a screenshot of your MyBookie account and email it to overtime at advertisecast.com. That's overtime at advertisecast.com. 500 bucks given away to a one lucky winner at the end of September. You got about, what, a week and a half, so... Get your name in that drawing. But all right, Charlie, what's our next team? Next up, we have South Carolina. I think Will Muschamp and the Gamecocks will go 3-7. and seven, And he may or may not be at risk of losing his job. The pandemic may give him one more I year. I think that saves him. I think well, it saves him. We'll see. Unless um, he goes like 1-9, 2-10 maybe. Yeah, and Curtis has them going at 3-7 and seven also. Yeah, so I'm a little bit higher on the Gamecocks. I kind of alluded to this earlier in the show. I'm not like really high on South Carolina, but I think this is a team and a coaching staff that can get close to the 500 mark. Right now, I got them going five and five when I when I picked their schedule. I got them losing to pretty much every good team on the schedule. I got them losing at Florida, at LSU. I got them losing to A&M at home, losing to Georgia at home, losing at Kentucky. And I also here's my surprise pick for them. I had them winning though. I had them beating Auburn at home. That's one of my upset specials of the SEC year. So, look, South Carolina's a team, they've shown, like, we saw, God, yeah, we saw it up close and personal last year. They are good enough. If one of these really good teams just doesn't have it on any given day, Carolina is good enough 
to find a way to win those games. And I, and I think Colin Hill at quarterback, I mean, they've said he's going to be the guy. I wasn't overwhelmingly surprised by that. I think he, you know, if you look at his history of Mike Bobo at Colorado State and Ryan Linsky, I know people were really high on him when he first got that job last year when Bentley went down the injury in week one. But he really, really faded down the stretch. And I questioned, was he their long-term answer at quarterback? And I know the fan base really likes him. He's, he's, it's a great story, obviously, with, with the history of his brother. His family, I think, moved to Columbia. So, yikes. But Colin Hill is a guy that actually, at Colorado State, in his last four years of starter, had a grade of 70 on pro football focus, which is, is not great, but it's better than the 60 grade that Helensky put up last year. I'm just a big fan of Mike Bobo. I think he's going to be an upgrade over Brian McClendon, like a pretty clear upgrade over Brian McClendon. And I know people don't like to give Will Muschamp credit, and you can throw me in that in that bag too. That's fine. But Will Muschamp, like they don't recruit on the level that we do, really not even close, but he's quietly had his fair share of recruiting wins over the past couple of seasons, especially on defense. And that's why I think I have South Carolina a little bit higher that I think most people do coming in this 2020 season. If you look at that defensive line, some of the big-time recruits they've got down there, they got Zach Pickens, who's a former top-10 player overall in the country. Rick Sandage was a top recruit. Aaron Sterling was a guy that we kind of toyed around with ends up going to South Carolina. Had a really good year last year. Kyrie Thomas. None of those guys have been elite yet, but any one of those guys could break out at any given time. They're that talented. And also, they have a really good duo at cornerback with Israel McQuamu and J.C. Horn. We saw it last year, guys. I, mean, I hate to keep bringing this back up, but... They just suffocated us last year on the edges. I mean, they just manned up on our receivers with a single high safety look, middle, middle of the field closed, and we're able to stuff the box, stack it up there with the numbers advantage. We, they shut down our running game. We couldn't win consistently one-on-one on the outside against their, against those cornerbacks. Those guys are good. McQuamu is really good, actually. He's long, physical, good player. And, and most of those guys on that defense were young last year. And it was not an elite defense, but I think it's a defense that can help them win some of those swing games potentially against Tennessee in week one. Now, offensively, I, I, I have some questions. I love Mike Bobo. I think he's a great coordinator. I have a lot of respect for him. I, I mean, Just as Seth Emerson said in his book, I mean, when, when Bobo left and went to Colorado State, that was the beginning of the end for Mark Richt. It really was. Great coordinator. But I, I just don't know the overall talent that he has to work with. I don't know if it's elite. I mean, Shai Smith's a good receiver. Uh, Colin Hill... He's had moments, but he's been battling injuries for a while. But I have them going 5-5 five and five with that swing game being week one versus Tennessee. And yeah, I'm being a little aggressive. We'll give them the win against Auburn. But that's what, you got to have an upset somewhere. So I got Carolina. I think they're good enough defensively to give Auburn some issues. And I, I know it's not going to be a full crowd, obviously, with the coronavirus situation. But Columbia is still a tough place to play. So I got the Gamecocks going 5-5 five and five overall. All right, next up we have our, well, I think our greatest competition in the East, which is Florida. I think the Gators are going to go 7-3 and three with losses to A&M, Georgia, and Kentucky. Curtis has Florida at 8-2. and two. Tyler, what do you think? Yeah, Florida, look, this is a good team, guys. We just did the Scott and the Emmy episode on them last week, the end of the week, and I think Florida's a good team. I think they're a talented team. I think they're a team that's good enough to beat most teams on their schedule. But I'm not sold on them being an elite, a playoff contending type team. I'm just not sold not yet. And I could very well be wrong. I've been wrong before. I could be wrong again. Heck, like Charlie said, I had Missouri going 10-2 last year. And it didn't work out. Now, a lot of that had to do with injuries to Kelly Bryant. They were kind of on their way and then things happened. But the bottom line is they went 6-6. Six six. I've been wrong. I'll be wrong again. But Florida, I just don't – I'm not seeing it, man. I, they have really good talent at spots. I just don't see an elite team. I've got them going 7-3. I'm exactly in line with Charlie here. Uh, the only difference is I don't have them losing to Kentucky. I'll explain why in a minute here. 
But uh, actually, I've already talked about Kentucky. But I, I do have instead of Kentucky, I had them losing the final game of the year at Tennessee. I had them losing at A and M in week two at Georgia, or not at Georgia. I guess it's in Jacksonville, and then losing. Uh, at Tennessee in that first week of December. And I know you might be thinking like, whoa, whoa, you're not that high on Tennessee. How can you possibly say you're not high on Tennessee, but you have them being Florida? And I get that. But I think when you look at that matchup, I think Tennessee is good enough to give Florida a run for their money. And the fact that it's in Knoxville, and I also, I'm factoring in the time of the game, not just the location, but the fact that it's in the first week of December. Florida's a, it's a warm weather team. It's a warm weather state. And you, we've seen it historically, guys, that a lot of times these teams that prepare and play in warm weather, they don't oftentimes, well, this, there's many cases where they just don't play as well when you put them in a cold environment like that outdoors. I've seen Florida a couple of times in the past couple of years go to Missouri in mid to late November and lose games to Missouri teams they have no business losing to because it's really cold in Missouri in late November. And, that, and Florida, that's just not what they do. I'm not saying they can't win games when it's cold. But a team like Tennessee that, that lives and prepares in that kind of cold in December, I would potentially give them the edge. I know that's kind of, of a soft analysis there, which I don't usually try to throw out there. But I think in a game like that where Tennessee's going to be up for a rivalry game, it's the final game of the year, I don't think Tennessee's going to have a great season, but I think they could potentially want to go out on a high note by beating the rival Florida Gators. And it's cold up there in Hill Country. I could see Tennessee uh, – Pulling that upset there. And again, that's kind of like the South Carolina win over Auburn. It's one of my upset specials of the year. Got to have a couple of those. But I have the Gators going 7-3. And And look, if they don't lose to Tennessee, I think Kentucky can very well get them. But when you look at this Florida team, I would also say watch out for Ole Miss week one. I don't think that Ole Miss is nearly as talented as Florida. But the lane train coming in week one, you don't exactly know what that offense is going to look like, who exactly the quarterback is going to be, how it's going to be structured. Florida is definitely the more talented team. It's on the road. New coaching staff for Ole Miss, tough to, tough to prepare when you don't really know what to prepare for. So just watch out for that and really, really watch out for that Kentucky game because I think that Kentucky front seven is a mismatch for that Ford offensive line, and I really like that, that Kentucky offensive line as well. And, and look, I, I got them losing to a and I'm feeling less confident about that pick each passing day. You know, we, we got Jamon Oz the top receiver now opting out, Anthony Hines from the top defenders opting out. I'm just but When I look at this Florida team, it's kind of what I was trying to say in our – Scout the Enemy episode at the end of last week. I'm just not sure where this Florida team is elite. When you look at, the t- at this team, they have some really good players and spots, but like, what unit is truly elite? You could maybe see the secondary with a guy like Kyer Elam, who's a really good cornerback, but what about the rest of the secondary? It, they, they have liabilities and coverage at safety. Those guys are good in run support, Sean Davis and Brad Stewart, but and, and coverage, those guys are liabilities. Marco Wilson's good. He's not elite at, at cornerback. You got Trey Dean, Amari Burry. I just, I, I don't think they're truly elite all throughout the secondary. Maybe one spot with Kyrie Elam. Offensive line, no. Quarterback, no. Running back, no. Receivers, even, I guess you could throw tight ends with receivers. I think they have the potential to be elite there, but they don't, other than Kyle Pitts, they have some talented guys with potential, but they haven't they haven't done it yet. Trevon Grimes hasn't done it as the lead guy. Copeland hasn't done it as the lead guy. Shorter had to transfer to Penn State because he couldn't cut it there. So maybe that they could turn into that, but we don't know that right now. But the bottom line for them is, is to win the East, they're gonna have to beat us. And I just don't see us slipping up in two non-Florida games this year. And my question is this, guys: where is Florida better than us? 
where do they have the matchup advantage? Maybe on paper, you could say they're cornerbacks versus our wide receivers, but you know what, guys? I think our receivers are really going to surprise some people this year. I feel good about what we have a receiver right now. I think our front seven is clearly better than their offensive line. I'm still not convinced that they're going to have any sort of run game this year. Maybe it'll be a little bit better than it was last year because it was just so tragically bad last year. But I, I think this is going to be a team that's largely going to be one-dimensional again this year unless they really try to incorporate Emory Jones more into the run game. And it, it, how, think about this, guys. How many one-dimensional teams beat Kirby Smart coach defenses? How often does that happen? It's extraordinarily rare. And if, if it does happen, if you're a one-dimensional team and you want to beat a Kirby Smart team, then that one dimension better be flat-out elite. And I just don't like, – I think Florida has a good passing game. They were good throwing the football last year. I don't think they were elite. I don't think Kyle Trask is an elite quarterback. So I just I don't see them getting that job done. I think we're going to beat Florida this year. They might give us a run, but I think we're going to ultimately end up winning that game. And I got the Gators going seven and three. All right. And last in the SEC East is Georgia. I have us going ten and zero, and I'm picking Dewan Mathis to be our starting quarterback. Um, not anything against. I think JT that's going to happen. Yeah. Oh, is there a new? Story? I don't know. I do it's been officially declared. I think it's going to happen. But you, you're big on Dewan, right? Just the story. Yes. Yeah. There's nothing I mean, wrong with JT Daniels. He seems like a nice kid. I've never heard anything bad about him. I just think it would be nice for Dewan Mathis to uh, get the win after coming from Ohio State. His brain injury. We're talking about a brain injury. Like yeah. coming back from it. Think about the resiliency. That's insane. And I saw a clip of him from practice. I guess he looked pretty good. Have you seen the before and after where he was last year after the surgery? Like just his body and where he is now. Like this guy, he's got himself in shape. I want the best guy to to win the job. But if that ends up being Dewan Mathis, that's going to be a great story. Yes, it will be. And so I have us going 10-0. Curtis has the dogs going 9-1. Tyler, what's your take on our season? Charlie, I, I wish I could be as bold as you. Life goals. But I'm not there yet. I can't quite get to 10-0 right now. I got us coming at 9-1. I don't think 10-0 is out of the question. But I also don't think more than one loss is out of the question. I think that's I think both are possible. So I'm gonna split the difference and say nine and one. I think if you look at our, our at our schedule, guys, I think the only team you can say that we're not clearly better than, like more talented than, is Alabama. And, but with Alabama, I've said this before during the offseason, I think that we have closed the gap with them. I think this is the first time that we're gonna play them in the Kirby Smart tenure where we can say, you know what, we have at least as much talent as Alabama. We played them. In the national title game, they were clearly the more talented team. It was a miracle that we even got that far in that game and pushed them to overtime like we did. In 2018, we closed the gap a little bit more. They were still more talented than us. Now, I think it's it, we've closed the gap entirely. I think we are at least on the same level from a talent perspective. But I do give them the edge. This is on the road in Tuscaloosa. It obviously does help us that it's not going to be a full crowd, but it's still on the road, tough place to play, and they're a really talented team. But And I'm not saying we can't lose another game. But I think we're just we're better than every other team on our schedule. We're more talented than every other team on our schedule. But still, I mean, you have to say like eight and two is a possibility uh, because especially with with COVID and potentially having we just talked about Dewan Mathis as much as we, we like his potential. When you have a redshirt freshman quarterback without a ton of time to get his feet under him, when, we, when you have a front loaded schedule like we have. That's cause for concern. I think you have to be a little naive to not have some concern there. So I think nine and one. 10-0, you're not crazy, Charlie, but I don't think somebody would be crazy to say 8-2 and two either. I don't think that's crazy when you look at the situation we're in. But look, guys, we all know what we're looking at here with this team. We have an elite defense. Uh, we, well, we had elite defense last year with an offense that proved to be the liability the entire last half of the season. The vast majority of that defense is back. You throw in some elite young talent. We're talented, we're experienced, and we are deep on defense. Potentially, I know it's tough to say when we were so good last year. I think we could potentially be better on defense this year. I've said that all offseason long. But as we've been told all offseason, 
The questions abound on offense. And again, I can't say I'm not worried at all. That'd be naive. And I'd be lying to you if I said, oh yeah, I have no worries at all about the offense. We, we do have a new scheme. We had no spring practice to get that new scheme in. We have a new quarterback, whoever it's going to end up being. It might be a redshirt freshman who has no collegiate snaps in his career. And we're likely going to have we're definitely going to have some new key pieces on the offensive line. We're losing a lot of guys on the, on the offensive line. So there are issues on, I don't say issues, but there are reasons to be concerned about the offense. But saying that, personally, I'm somewhat at ease with everything. Like going into game week, I'm usually a nervous wreck. I'm kind and I'm ner- like I'm always nervous. But I had this kind of, this sense of calm about me with this offense because I believe the talent is there. And let me explain why. Even though we really str- struggled on the stretch last year, so again, we've got Pro Football Focus as a subscription this year, guys. And I am um, just pouring through all the different things that I can pull up on Pro Football Focus. And one thing that I saw that really, this is probably the one thing that stood out to me more than anything I, that I've come across on Pro Football Focus from last year's numbers. Guys, we know our offense, like we watched it. It was a bad look the second half of last year. But according to Pro Football Focus, our offense graded out overall last year in the top 10 nationally. And at first I'm like, What? How is that remotely possible? And you're probably asking the same question. You guys saw the same offense that I saw. But the thing with Pro Football Focus is these grades, they don't take into account overall statistical production. These are grades exclusively based on how the players at each given position performed on each given play. So when you look at how our players performed and how they grade out each given play, we came out number seven nationally last year in our overall offensive grade. And that clearly seems to be at odd with the production. I mean, we were 61st nationally in total offense last year. It's very incongruent. Absolutely it is. So what does this mean? What it tells me is that we had the individual talent last year. Not saying that we were elite everywhere. We had some issues with receiver and quarterback. We saw some deficiencies kind of show their ugly head the last half of the year when we had some issues at receiver last, obviously last year. But we were more than anything hamstrung by a subpar offensive coordinator in James Coley. Outstanding position coach, outstanding recruiter. It's pretty clear now with his record at Miami and what he did last year here in Athens with the talent he had to work with. Not a great coordinator. He's just not there right now. Uh, and, and give you more evidence there, go back to 2018. In 2018, we had the number three rated overall offense according to Pro Football Focus's overall grades. But we were also the number 18 total offense in terms of production in 2018. Why was there such a difference last year compared to what we were in 2018? Well, we had a better offensive coordinator. Say what you want about Cheney. He's a much better coordinator than James Cole could ever dream of being. That's just the fact. And I think this is important because we have undoubtedly upgraded at offensive coordinator with Todd Munkin. I think he's an upgrade over Cole. I think he's an upgrade over Jim Cheney as well. Now, yeah, we lose some key offensive linemen. We, we lose DeAndre Swift, a great running back, but we have a lot of talent at running back. I think we have more talent wide receiver than we had to work with last year. We have, I think we're going to be more talented at quarterback. There's going to be more potential, more physical talent there. I don't know if it will translate immediately because you don't have the experience there. But I think there's enough talent to make up for some of the key losses from last year's offense. And, and again, guys, I've said this so many times in the offseason. I hate to say it again, but I got to. We just need to be small degrees better on offense this year with what we have returning on defense. And yes, I do think, even though there are some legitimate questions offensively, I think we will at the very least be small degrees better. I am concerned with the front-loaded schedule and trying to work in a new system. That does concern me. But again, I think we're better than every team on our schedule, at least more talented than every team on our schedule, sans Alabama, which I think is more of a toss-up game. Now, being more talented doesn't mean that you can't have an inexplicable loss somewhere along the way. 
We've had that in us at times. We had we saw that last year against South Carolina. But I'm just not sure you could predict that. When you're at the beginning of the year and you're looking at the schedule and you're trying to pick wins and losses and you're trying to make predictions, you like last year, you would have been crazy before the season to predict that we were gonna lose to South Carolina at home. So same thing here. I'm not saying we can't lose to a team like that this year, but I also can't predict that's gonna happen either. So right now I'm going nine and one with us getting back to Atlanta for the SEC title for the fourth consecutive season. All right, so let's switch over to the SEC West now. We're going to start with Bama. I have Bama going 9-1 and one with their only loss to UGA. I think we'll meet them in Atlanta in December as long as we get that far due to the pandemic. Do we beat them twice, Charlie? If you guys win the regular season, can we pull it off twice against Nick Saban? Yes. Woo! All right. Bold. Curtis All right. has uh, Bama going 10-0. and 0. So you guys... All right, Curtis got 10-0, you got 9-1. and 1. Yes. Charlie, I'm sorry. I'm going to go with Curtis on this one. That's fine. I'm going with Curtis on this one. I got 10-0 for Bama. And look, I don't think this is going to be a vintage Alabama team. I think they'll be very good. I had them going 10-0. But I don't think it's going to be one of the better Alabama teams of the Nick Saban era. But I just think when you look at the SEC West this year, I think this is clearly the most talented, most experienced, and deepest team in the SEC West. I'm honestly not sure there's a real contender this year. And guys, look, before you just thought you discredit me and say, oh, well, everyone's picking Alabama. I, I don't like to pat myself on the back, but last year I did on this very episode in the preseason last year, the week before the season started, I actually went out on a limb and picked LSU to beat Alabama and win the SEC West. No, I did not have LSU winning the national title and being the best team I've ever seen in my life, but I did have them beating Alabama and, and, and winning the SEC West. So I, and I just say that because I, I don't want people to think, oh, he's just he's taking the easy way out and just throwing Alabama out there like everyone else. I just think Alabama's going to be the better team this year. I think Alabama's going to be the, clearly the best team in the West. I think the obvious question mark is how good can this offense be without Tua Tungavailoa? I think they can be pretty good, guys. Mac Jones, no, he's not Tua, but he's no slouch. Like people that are just kind of throwing Bryce Young, the true freshman, in there, like saying he's gonna he's gonna be the guy at some point early in the year. I I'm not maybe he might be he might be. I think he probably has a higher ceiling than Mac Jones, but I'm not sure that's gonna happen this year. Mac Jones played well, guys, when he when he. Got a couple starts last year. Yeah, I know he had two pick sixes against Auburn that kind of lost that game. Bad looks. But if you look at his overall performance, according to Pro Football Focus, he had an 80.8 passing grade last year against the number 10 and number 17 ranked defenses nationally against Auburn against Michigan in that bowl game. He played well. Now, yeah, he will not have Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs this year, but they do have Devontae Smith. They do have Jalen Waddle. Najee Harris is back at running back. He has weapons to work with. I just don't think they have to be as good as they were last year offensively because I don't think there's a 2019 LSU caliber team to contend with in the West this year. I don't see that team. And, and yeah, and I talked about this a lot. The Demons took a step back last year for Alabama, but they were still top 15 nationally. It's all relative. And, and, I, and, I, and I said that last year going into the season. That's why I picked LSU over Bama in the preseason last year is I thought there were too many holes in the Alabama defense and there were a lot of injuries they were dealing with. They're getting some of those guys back with a guy like Dylan Moses. But I still think there are holes in this year's defense. They do have some elite players. I mentioned Dylan Moses. He's back. Patrick Sertan is borderline elite at cornerback. But they have some holes. Somebody has to start opposite Dylan Moses at inside linebacker. It's probably going to be Shane Lee, who I've had. I, I told you guys on the, on the Alabama Scout the Enemy episode that guy was not good last year. They were. They had issues at inside linebacker. Shane Lee grayed out with a 49.1 last year as a true freshman. Yeah, he was a true freshman, but he's had to make a big jump this year. He's not athletic. He doesn't move well. He's a liability for them at inside linebacker, in my opinion. 
I think they're good, but not dominant on the defensive line. Maybe Christian Barmore is the only guy that I saw that, that was borderline dominant at times last year for them. They don't have, it's not a vintage Bama defensive front. At least it wasn't last year. Most of those guys are back. They'll probably be a little bit better this year, but I just don't know if they're the dominant player that, that they've had in years past. Patrick Sertan is good in the secondary, but he's surrounded by three guys back there with, with all the guys they're losing. He's going to be surrounded by three guys with sub 70 grades last from last year's pro football focus grades. I think there are some losable games for them. I think you can, you can look at Georgia, at LSU, Bama, and AM. But three of those four losable games are at home, with the only one coming on the road is at LSU. I think LSU is going to get a big step back this year. So, yeah, I got Bama going 10 0 and representing the West in Atlanta. All right, next up we have Arkansas. Poor Arkansas. I really want Sam Pittman to do well, but I do have them going 0 for 10. Um, I think after a few years, though, Arkansas will become a strong team. You kind of always had this little weird, strange, inexplicable soft spot for Arkansas. Yeah, I it's don't really weird. know why, but I have. Because they're not really, like, we don't play them that often, and they don't really, like, threaten us, usually. And you love, let's be real, you love the pig suey chair. I've heard you do that way too many times watching Arkansas games, and please don't do it. You I kind of do it just to annoy you. Well, let's not do it this week. No. Okay. The rest of the year, okay, not this week. Uh, so what'd you okay. say for Arkansas? 10, 0 and 10? 0 and 10. And 10. has them going 0 and 10 also. Well, let's make it, let's make it a, a 3 for 3 here. I got Arkansas, got the Haas going 0 and 10. Uh, 0 and 10. The SEC, like they, 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 they messed up here. The fact they didn't have Arkansas and Vanderbilt play each other so they could potentially have at least one of those two teams get a win and not have two teams potentially go 0 and 10, they, they missed the boat on that one. But anyway, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on Arkansas. Felipe Franks is probably going to be their guy at quarterback. I'm not a believer in Felipe Franks. He's a really talented guy from a physical standpoint, but he just makes so many inexplicable decisions, like game-changing, inexplicably bad decisions. But he does have some talent around him. Uh, Rakeem Boyd is a really good running back, a running back that nobody talks about. Guys, watch out for this guy. We're going to do the Arkansas preview show later on this week, and we'll talk more about him. Good player. You got a trio of receivers I think are good players. Trey Knox, Traylon Burks, Mike Woods. Good players. So I think offensively they have some weapons at the skill positions. But defensively, they just have such a long way to go. They bring over Barry Odom uh, after he get he got let go from Missouri. He's the defensive coordinator over there now. But they were 116th nationally in yards per play last year. Guys, they gave up a whopping 471 yards a game to SEC opponents this year. And I'm not sure you guys realize this. I'm not sure you've heard, Charlie. They're only playing SEC teams this year, right? Oh, yeah. So when you get up 471 yards a game last year to SEC teams, that's going to be tough when you're only playing SEC teams. So I hate it for them. But I got the Hawks going 0-10. All right, next up we have Auburn. And I think Gus may be in his last year at Auburn as I have the Tigers or War Eagles or whatever they are um, going 6-4. and four. Uh, We'll see how Malzahn does. You think 6-4 and four gets him fired in the era of COVID? May, yeah, maybe not. Maybe I just every year it's like. But but oh, there's no rhyme again. or reason with what that with what that brass does in Auburn. Like it's weird. Right. It's exactly. just weird. Yeah. You never know. So he may be somewhere else this time next year. We'll see. I don't know. I have him going six and four. Curtis has them going seven and three. I'm I'm with you on this one, Charlie. Like, I'm going six and four as well. Now I will say I have some games that they're losing here that people are, or at least one game. You're like, huh? What? Probably two games. I got them losing at Kentucky and at South Carolina. Especially the South Carolina game. I know that's going on, going out on a limb. I think South Carolina can potentially match up pretty well with them. It's on the road. I think that's an upset special there. I, again, I have a lot of respect for Mike Bobo. I have major questions about this Auburn defense this year with all the guys they lost from last year. I think Carolina could potentially sneak up and get them. They might not take them as seriously. I think Kentucky in week one, that's my week one upset special. Charlie already stole that from me. But that's my week one upset special. 
And a large part of that has to do with the fact that Auburn has been really dealing with some COVID issues leading up to the start of the season. They, they for a while, couldn't practice, couldn't scrimmage, and have some starters out. So like, I, it just hasn't – like there hasn't been the cohesion leading up to the season for Auburn. And Kentucky's a team that if things aren't clicking on all cylinders for your team coming into week one, Kentucky is absolutely good enough to jump up and bite you. And so I, it's a little bit of a limb. It's, I don't think it's much of a limb. I'm going out on with Kentucky as I am with South Carolina. But I legitimately, like, I'm not just like saying, hey, let's take a flyer. I legitimately think Kentucky's going to beat Auburn in week one. So I got them going six and four, losing Kentucky, Georgia, South Carolina, and Alabama, all games on the road. Again, I just have major questions about this Auburn defense. They're losing so many impact players, especially up front. You got to be good up front in the SEC. When you lose guys like Derrick Brown with a 90.4 grade, Davidson, Marlon Davidson with an 81.2 grade, Igby Nogany jumping in the first round of the NFL draft as a cornerback, you're losing three stars in the secondary. I do like their inside linebackers with McLean, Popo, and KJ Britt, but I have questions about how effective they're going to be this year. Are they going to be as effective if you don't have guys like Derrick Brown and Marlon Davidson eating up blockers for you? I don't know. That remains to be seen. Uh, and Bo Nix, I know people are really high on him. He's the returning uh, what, freshman of the year in the SEC last year. But he was so hit or miss. And I know that's not uncommon when you're talking about true freshman at the quarterback position. But he was a lot more missed than he was hit last year. And really, his splits against the good teams and the bad teams, I know you're always going to play better against the bad teams. But his splits against good versus bad teams were really stark. Um, If you look at his grades last year against the four top defenses he faced last year, he was grayed out at a 48 by a pro football focus. Against the four worst defenses he faced, or four of the worst defenses he faced last year, Tulane, Mississippi State, Arkansas, and Ole Miss, he graded out with an 81. So yeah, totally different quarterback when he played against trash defenses. When he played the big boys, he was a liability for Auburn. Yeah, I know, year two, he'll probably be a little bit better, but it's also a new system he's working with, Chad Morris. We'll see how he fits into that system. Chad Morris, historically, has been more of a pass-happy uh, coordinator. We'll see if that fits with Bo Nix. I'm not sure it's going to be the right fit, especially in year one. We'll see. But I, I, honestly, I think all of this adds up to a, a just a classic Gus Malzahn team. I'm not sure I'm going to say he's going to be let go after this year, Charlie. I think, but it's the classic Gus Malzahn team. Solid team, but not great. They're going to lose a game they probably shouldn't. Maybe South Carolina, but they're going to find a way to win a game they probably shouldn't late and save his job. Maybe I got him winning, at, uh, beating Texas A&M at home this year. So that's kind of what I see from this Auburn team this year. It's just a classic Gus Malzahn team, and I think 6-4 and four is about right for them this year. Okay. Next up, we have LSU, the national champs. Lost a lot with quarterback Joe Burrow going to the NFL and everyone else that helped them get the national title last year. So I have them going 7-3 and three with losses to Florida, Auburn, and Bama. Curtis has LSU going 6-4. and four. Tyler, what's your take? Yeah, I've also, I'm going to side with Kurtz on this one. I got them going 6-4. and four. I got them losing pretty much every good team they play. I got them losing at Florida, at Auburn, losing to Bama at home, and then losing to A&M on the road. Look, LSU, we know they were awesome last year. Maybe the best team I've ever seen in my life at the college level. I, I, I mean that. Maybe the best team I've ever seen. But they also have the fewest returning starters in college football this year. They lose 16 of their 22 starters from last year's team. Gone, as Charlie mentioned, is Wonderboy uh, Joe Brady. Gone is Wonderboy Joe Burrow. Gone is Dave Aranda, their defensive coordinator. They, they bring in Bo Pelini in his second tour of duty uh, there uh, in the, on the sticks, and he's bringing in a new scheme. They're, doing trans, they're translating to a 4-3 scheme this year. I, I don't know, man. I just 
there's still a lot of talent there because LSU recruits really well. But when you lose, I mean, you can lose some key players and, and be okay. But when you lose that many key players, both coordinators, you're making a, a scheme transition on defense. Whew, I just, I'm not seeing it with LSU this year. I think they can beat most of the teams on their schedule. But the, the better teams, the Floridas, the Alabamas, the A&Ms, uh, no. I got six and four. All right. Only three teams left to talk about. Next up is Mississippi State. And boy, do I love Mike Leach. He just provides constant entertainment. And I can't wait to watch the back and forth between him and Lane Kiffin. He really is fantastic. It, it started back when they both got their jobs. They just, they can't help themselves. They're both like little children. Like it's almost too good to be true to have both those guys, those characters in the same state. It is. It's, it's almost too good to be true. It's in a great. rivalry like the Egg Bowl, it's crazy. Yeah, so I have Mississippi State getting two wins this season over Arkansas and Vanderbilt. Um, it'll be interesting to watch this team adapt and evolve with the air raid. So they're going 2-8 and eight. Um, in my opinion, and Kurt has them going three and seven. Yeah, so I, I'm a little bit higher. So you had them two wins. Curtis had three. I'll, I'll go one up from that. I got them going four and six. And that might be a little bit aggressive for Mississippi State this year. I got them beating Arkansas at home, Vanderbilt at home, at Ole Miss, and also beating Missouri. The air raid, as Charlie mentioned, it's coming to Starkville. And I think this is a great fit long-term for Mississippi State. Because, look, Starkville, a, it's, it's a traditional football outpost. And if you're a football outpost – you have to have something like this to level the playing field. Like if you're a Georgia Tech, you gotta have the triple option, right? If you're Mississippi State, you need something like this. And I think it's a match made in heaven when you got Mike Leach in his air raid with KJ Costello transferring as the quarterback from from Stanford in 2018. His 82.8 grade that season. That's the that's he's that that season was the best single season by any quarterback in the SEC this year. I know it was a couple years ago. He was out last year for most of the year with an injury. But he's going to be a really good fit for them. I have a question about this. Though. Kylan Hill is their best player at, at running back. But how does he fit in with the Mike Leach offense? I went back and crunched the numbers, guys. In his eight years at Washington State, Mike Leach ran the ball on average on 27% of the plays of uh, his last his eight years in Washington State. So when your best player is Kylan Hill and you only run the ball about 25% of the time on average, that is adds up to me that you might be wasting one of the best players on your team. Now, maybe Mike Leach is going to feature Kylan Hill more than he has his other running backs, but if, if you watch Mike Leach for the years, guys, what this guy does is he does what he does. He doesn't adapt really to his talent. He has his talent adapt to what he does. And so I just, I don't know what to make of that. So that, that I think the Costello fit's a really good fit. I don't know about the Kylan Hill fit. We'll see how that works out. But I do think that Costello is good enough to carry them to a couple of wins over teams that, 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 that they probably should be. But I just don't see them rising up to take down an LSU or a Bama or a Georgia. I don't think they're ready for that yet. All right, that brings us to Mississippi State's in-state rival with Ole Miss, which also has a new coach in Lane Kiffin. Um, again, very entertaining. Will be exciting to watch that Egg Bowl if we, if we when we get there. When is that slated for? Uh, let's see, Mississippi State versus Ole Miss. That is... Not, it's the week before the last week of the year. All right. That'll be awesome. Just a whole week. Thanksgiving weekend. I guess they had that on A media frenzy. Um, I think Ole Miss will get one more win than their in-state rival this year, making a total of three wins versus Arkansas, Vandy, and South Carolina. So three and seven. Curtis also has um, Ole Miss going three and seven. Tyler? Yeah, so I'm not as high on Ole Miss as I am on Mississippi State. Not that I'm high on Mississippi State, but I got Ole Miss going 2-8 and eight this year. I think Lane Kiffin is the right hire for them. I think long-term, he's going to do a great job there. I just don't... It's kind of like with Missouri and Eli Drinkwitz. I don't see it translating in year one. I think it's going to take more than one year. I just don't think they have the talent on hand this year. I do have them beating Arkansas and Vanderbilt. 
I just the reason I have Mississippi State a little bit higher than Ole Miss is it's all about the quarterback. I think that Costello is clearly a better quarterback than Matt Corral, who I think is what it seems like that Lane Kiffin is going to go with. And, and I just, I just, it makes sense because Corral kind of fits what Lane Kiffin does traditionally more so than John Rice Plumley. Plumley, because Plumley is not, he wasn't a great passer last year. But I'll say this for Plumley, yeah, passing liability last year. But if you look at him and Corral. Of the two, he's the one that, that is special and at least something. His ability to run the football is special. I mean, just ask LSU last year, ask Alabama. He put up big yards on both those teams. So he's not a great passer, but at least he has an elite skill set in some regard, which I don't think you can say about Matt Corral. I just have questions about Matt Corral as like your top quarterback. I just have issues with that. But yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be a great year for them defensively. They still have some major issues. So I got Ole Miss going 2-8. and eight. All right, that brings us to the last team in the SEC, which is Texas A&M. I think they're going to be a pretty good team this year. Um, I think they're going to be chasing Alabama all season, trying to get into the SEC championship game. However, they will go 8-2 and two with losses to Bama and later in the year uh, a loss to LSU. Um, Kurt has them going 9-1. and one. What's your take on A&M? Yeah, so initially I had them going 9-1 and one as well, but Charlie, I have rethought my pick here, and I have decided to go with 8-2. and two. And that is because they've had some recent opt-outs. Uh, so, so some impact players. Jamon Osmond, their top receivers, opted out. Anthony Hines, the third one of their best defenders, opted out this weekend, kind of just, uh, a week before the season starts. So I don't know if there's bad mojo going on at, at A&M right now. I don't know. But regardless, you got two impact players that just recently opted out. you got to replace them. But to me, this is all about Kellen Mond. Like, A&M as a contender, can they really win the West? It's all about Kellen Mond. Can he raise his game to that level? He's, he's been good. But when you watch him play, there's just always something missing with Kellen Mond. He was recruited by Kevin Sullivan initially to run the more spread-type system, more run-oriented system. That was his game coming in. Then you get Jimbo Fisher coming in, want to run more of a pro-style attack. And Kellen Mond has had to transition to that. He's had to learn. He's had to grow. He's gotten better. I just don't think he's a fit for that system. I really do not think he's, he's a great athlete. Do not think he's a fit for that system. They need to use him in the run game, which they didn't for the first half of last year. They kind of figured that out late in the year, but it was, it was too late for them by that point last year. But with Kellen Mond, he's going to have to do without his top three wide receivers from last year. Just, again, just a lot of bad mojo with this team right now. You lose Baylor Cup to, for the second straight year to a season-ending injury before the season even starts. If you guys don't know who Baylor Cup was because he hasn't played ever, he was a top tight in the country. He was supposed to be a, fresh, a true freshman last year. I think he tore his ACL for the season this year. I think he tore his labrum a couple weeks ago. He's out. That's a big loss, especially when you factor in Jamon Osmond, their top receiver, is opted out. Uh, it's just, they have some talent guys like Leon O'Neal, Buddy Johnson on defense. Anita Smith is going to be a good player for them at receiver. He'll have to be their top receiver now. Jalen Weidermeyer was a true freshman tight end last year that was one of the top tight ends in the league last year. They were really going to have a duo with Weidermeyer and Cup, but Cup's gone. So just, again, it just doesn't feel right for A&M right now. But still, I think they're good enough to beat just about everyone on their schedule, just not good enough to beat Alabama and potentially Auburn, who I have them losing to. I have them going 8-2 and two, losing at Bama and at Auburn. So that's all of them, right, Charlie? That's all right, real team. quick, SEC championship pick. So you got Bama and Georgia, as do I, as does Curtis. I don't think we got Curtis's title pick. We'll get that from him later. Who you got winning the SEC? The whole shebang, the whole SEC. Who's coming? Dogs. Dogs? This is the year? hope so. If we, if we get to December. it's. I, I love your boldness saying that we're going to beat Alabama twice in one year. It's not impossible. I don't think it's ever been done. With the Nick Saban team at Alabama, I don't think it has. I, I'm not saying it can't happen, but it's okay. You think it's ridiculous? 
I'm okay with that. Uh, I don't think it's, I don't think it's ridiculous. I think, like I said, I think we're as talented as Alabama is. It's just tough. Oh man, give me dogs. Let's go. Give me dogs. Call it a homer pick if you want. So we lose in the regular. season. I think we lose to Alabama in the regular season, and I, uh, th- that's part of my pick here. If you lose the team that loses the first game, you're the one right, that you know you have to change things. Right. You're the, the team that wins is like, hey, we 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 won doing this. Let's do that. So it's easy to prepare for the team that won. But we've also lost to them many times. We have. This is the new team. It's the new year. And we are going to win. <laughs> we are going to win the SEC Damn. this year. We're going to the college football playoff, and it's it's going to be fun, guys. Let's just hope, dear God, we get through this season. I'm just so glad SEC football is back. I'm so glad Georgia football is back. Cannot wait to get in these stadiums. It's going to be a lot of fun, guys. Obviously, we're going to have you covered throughout the entire season. I'll be back later this week to preview the Arkansas Razorbacks, and we'll wrap this week up with our first picks of the week episode of the 2020 football season. We will have a guest host, a listener, joining us to represent all of you guys out there. If you guys weren't with us last year, so it'll be Charlie and myself. We'll be making our picks. We're keeping track of those all season long. And we'll also have a new listener on the show each and every week. So we'll see if you guys as listeners can take us down. Last year, it it was a great battle. You guys took us down when it came to the total picks. I did end up winning against the spread. But the listeners, yes, I think they end up edging me by one in the straight-up picks. Charlie was just behind me. I think she was one or two games behind me. So I got to get revenge this year. I got to – hey, man, I got a reputation to uphold. I got to win against the spread. I got to win straight up. got to make it happen. So we're going to have a lot of fun with that. It was a lot of fun last year. So make sure to check back later in the week, guys. But for Charlie, I'm Tyler. Thanks for listening. And as always, go dogs.